0: Welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 24. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. So this week, I've been playing through Nelly Kotalot and the Foul Fleet, and managed to speak to the creator, animator, and comedian, Alistair Beckett-King. I've also been replaying Celeste, and offer up my thoughts on the game. In the news this week, Nintendo announced the Switch Lite, Cuphead's coming to Netflix, and a Lord of the Rings MMO is coming from Amazon Game Studios. All that and more in a packed podcast, so let's get into it. Welcome to the show everyone, I hope you're well and having a good week. I'm good this week and I've been enjoying England playing in the Cricket World Cup and today we're playing in the final. The game is currently on and we're playing New Zealand at the home of cricket, Lords, in St John's Wood here in London. It's currently 225 for 6 with two overs to play and it's going to be a tight game but hopefully England can win it and lift the World Cup at the end of the game. So July is normally quite slow in the gaming world but this week Nintendo announced their Switch Lite which we'll get to in the news and there's some really good looking indie games on the horizon with Streets of Rogue that came out on Friday and Eagle Island is coming out next week so hopefully I'll have an announcement in the next few days related to one of these games and the podcast which is very very exciting stuff but first up let's get into what I've been playing this week so this week I've been playing Nelly Kotalot and the Foul Fleet which is a new point and click adventure game from Alistair Beckett King and Application Systems i'm a huge fan of point and click adventure games so it was an exciting one to see this released on nintendo switch and uh i've played through a couple of adventure games this year and it really makes me want to go back and play through some i might have missed so if you've got any suggestions about point and click adventure games then email me at podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com and i'll feature them on the podcast I've also been playing Celeste in preparation for the DLC that's coming out soon. We've got a new hundred new levels coming out soon. And uh, I'd forgotten what a special game this is and I wanted to share my review of the game as it's something that I think everyone should play. But first up, let's get into my review of Nelly Kotalot and the Foul Fleet.
1: Once in a distant time and place, a great pirate sailed the oceans. Who goes there? Nellie Cootelot, pirate. Against the waves of villainy, she alone defended all creatures tiny and adorable. Sebastian, my old friend. Led by her spiritual mentor, William Bloodbeard, she fought the malevolent machinations of Baron Widebeard. What's the Baron up to? I know not what he's plotting, but I foresee many innocent birds be perishing. Ah! <laughs> Birds hate perishing. We are going to lay siege to Gloomhome and defeat the Tamagan hordes. But I'm not dressed for a siege. Go, Nelly. You must stop my treacherous brother.
0: So Nelly Kootalot, The Foul Fleet, is a new point-and-click adventure game released for Nintendo Switch. It's funny... The story is engaging and offers up a mixture of puzzles and adventures as you hunt down the evil Baron Widebeard and rescue the poor birds of the Foul Fleet. This was the first time I'd come across Nelly Coutelot, however, I'm a fan of point and click adventure games, and that classic gameplay combined with the humour worked really well and entertained me throughout this adventure. Nelly Coutelot, A Foul Fleet, is a 2D point and click adventure game funded through Kickstarter for animator Alistair Beckett King. So we start our adventure with Nellie. She's a wannabe pirate cleaning out the rooms on a ship. She's visited by William Bloodbeard from Beyond and the Mop Bucket, informing you that his brother, Baron Widebeard, plans to enslave an army of birds for his evil doing to steal his treasure. Always one for an adventure, Nellie hops into a crate and posts herself off to Port Rubicon to hunt down clues and help find the Baron. Key to point-and-click adventure games is the writing and Nellie Coot-A-Lot doesn't disappoint. The writing is warm, friendly and full of jokes, all written by creator Beckett King. Like many of the great animations, there's jokes in here for the children, but also plenty for the adults too, without being rude or sweary. An example of this is when Nellie meets a bartender in Port Rubicon, and there's a joke about losing three times, once including the Lehman Brothers. The voice acting in the game is entertaining too, Tom Baker of Doctor Who fame plays Nellie's psychic bird along the way, Sebastian. Nellie is voiced by the creator's partner. She's great, funny, great timing, and brings warmth and friendliness to the main character, bringing her to life with inquisitive charm. The story is silly, but in the best possible way, and entertaining, and the cast of characters brings a constant smile to the face throughout your playthrough. My favourite were the Tofts, who raced for the entertainment and wealth, are the customers in Lucky's bar. They're a ragtag bunch, down on their luck, looking to regain some pride by racing against one another to fulfil the gambling pleasures of Lucky's customers. The chocolate-eating French aristocrat on the run was hilarious. At times, the game reminded me of Black Adder a British cult comedy. The jokes, wit and tone of the game felt very homegrown. The puzzles in the game will keep me busy, and the game took me about six hours to complete in a full playthrough. Puzzles themselves aren't too challenging and incorporate standard finding items, combining items in the inventory and solving the puzzles that are in front of you. For example, to get on board your ship to leave the first island, you have to gather a few items, a stripy shirt, a sailor's hat and something to tie up your hair. The game would be suitable to play through with all ages and there's something here for everyone. The art style is cute, bright and colourful with excellent animation and character design. The character design is varied, with Baron Widebeard looking hilarious from the outset. As the game isn't too tricky, you could probably leave this for kids or younger relatives to play through on their own, or it would act as a nice bedtime game to play through a few puzzles together as a family. Friendly, funny and charming, this would be fitting entertainment for a wide range of players. As well as the story that's peppered throughout the game, there's a number of cutscenes which move the story along nicely between the main acts. The animation once again is beautiful and looks good on Nintendo Switch in handheld or in docked mode. The game has been out since 2016 on PC, but this is a good fit for the Nintendo Switch and it would be a good accompaniment to a commute, a bus or a plane journey. In summary, Nelly Coutelot The Foul Fleet is an entertaining adventure with a warm and fuzzy core. It's genuinely funny showing off the talents of Alistair Beckett King's writing and comedy talents and would make a fun playthrough for all the family so the game was developed by Alistair Beckett King and Application Systems it's out on PC via Steam and out today available on Nintendo Switch and uh, it was originally released in March 2016 on PC but it is out today on the 11th of July 2019 for Nintendo Switch and I gave the game a final score of eighty out of hundred, so that 's it for my review of Nelly Coutelot and the Foul Fleet. Let me know what you thought of it on podcast at this How did you get on with it? Uh, did you like the humor and what did you think of the puzzles? It'd be really interesting to hear from you and uh, see what you thought of the game. But next up, I was lucky enough this week to interview Alistair Beckett King, the animator, comedian, and creator of Nelly Kootalot and the Foul Fleet. So let's go to that interview. Welcome back to This Week in Video Games, and I'm here with Alistair Beckett King uh, of Nelly Cotalock fame. And uh, thank you very much for joining me. And uh, first of all, congratulations on the launch for Nintendo Switch.
1: Thank you very much, Tom. Uh, hello, by the way. Hello. Uh, The the switch the launch has just happened. Uh, I was literally just just tweeting about it as as you were trying to ring me, and I was saying I was trying to compose like a a laid back tweet, like I don't even care if you buy it, but I care so much. It took me eight minutes to write the (laughs) the the, hey please buy my game tweet. Um, So I think I've clearly indicated that I'm I'm pretty much a marketing genius. So it must be a a very exciting day. It's it's really nice. I was just thinking as I was tweeting, uh, and I didn't include any of this in the tweets, But I was getting a tiny bit nostalgic because I remember having a, uh, um, a Nintendo Entertainment System and a Super Nintendo Entertainment System, which is the only way to pronounce those names. When I was a kid, I had a NES and a SNES, and I genuinely never thought that I would I would make a game that you could play on a Nintendo console, and I have. This is a, you know this is the first foray into consoles for Nelly. She's only ever been on um, you know Macs and PCs and Linux. So it's really, it's quite nice. And the idea that, that new people who haven't played the game might discover it, might discover it, and even better, might actually buy it, um, is, is, is lovely.
0: It, it feels like a really great fit for Nelly as well, um, being a, a, a very friendly, a very warm, a very funny game, um, but also quite kind of family-orientated as well.
1: Well, that's one of the nice things about it. Is, I mean, I, I don't think it's a kid's game, because it's got plenty of like highbrow references in it and jokes yes. that only grown-ups will get. It's not. It's not got a great. You know. It's not got lots of um, dirty jokes in it. It has a few, but not many. <laughs> but um. But the. You know. I'm sure they would go over the heads of kids. But lots of people have told me that they played it with their with their kids, and lots of people have played it with their partners. It's it's a game that I think people have enjoyed playing with someone else there. Uh, which is really quite sweet and nice. And yeah, and it, and it is, I think, I hope, a friendly and kind game, which is maybe not the, what everybody thinks of when they think of video games. It's, it's, you know, it's, not, it's not a very violent game, for example. Although there is a lot of, potent, there's a lot of implied bird violence at certain <laughs> points. Um, well,
0: that, I, I guess the day must be sort of full of uh, mixed emotions to build up to the launch. And then, like you say, you've just launched it now. Um, so yeah, well, con- congratulations
1: first of all, I'm, I'm really pleased. And, uh, yeah. I also have to say that I take I can take no credit at all for, for doing the conversion to switch. Um, because the, the weird thing about making the game is that um, I, I worked with the, uh, a programmer called Alex. And he's been just working day and night while I have been making no contribution whatsoever to the Switch conversion. And so it's just, for me, it's all just happened. uh, And I haven't had to put any effort in, which has been, well, delightful, the way I think things should be. Uh, But it's been great. But I also wanted wanted to be clear that I haven't been slaving over a hot um, Nintendo dev kit. Um, I've just been swanning around in my ivory tower. Would you have a swan in a tower? I don't know.
0: If it was big enough,
1: perhaps, yeah. De- yeah, ideally, like, uh, it depends on the uh, circumference of the tower whether there's room for a, a water feature.
0: So, could you tell us a bit more about Nelly Cotelot and the foul fleet?
1: Yes. Um, well, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm sure your your listeners are not aware of my game, uh, but it's uh, it's very good and nice and funny. Uh, that's the important thing I want people to take away. Uh, so I, I started making uh, games about Nelly ages and ages and ages ago, like in 2007. I made a freeware game about a pirate called Nelly Cootlot. Um Obviously, the the the, the a point-and-click pirate adventure game owes a debt to Monkey Island. Um, but my my game started out as a as like a birthday present or a Christmas present for my girlfriend. And I say birthday or Christmas because it took so long to make that it went past several birthdays and i think a couple of christmases um and i I made a a little point and click game that was free called nelly coot lot spoon beaks ahoy and then i I just got the idea into my head that i could do more with it and make another game and so back in 2016 um i I, and then the times have changed since 2016 so so many things have changed um beards have come and gone in fashion in that time so just to give you a sense of how much time has passed i kickstarted the the, the foul fleet and um, and then application systems who are a german company got on board and they helped me develop it and they they brought in alex who actually understands how to program things instead of just drawing silly pictures and writing jokes um and um and yeah and so and it took flipping ages but the nice thing about them getting on board was it meant i was able to work with Really good voice actors, like um, we have uh, Tom Baker off of Doctor Who. And for me, it's Narnia. I'm watching him in Narnia when I was a kid uh, playing uh, Sebastian the Coot, who's sort of Nelly's sidekick slash hint system. And uh, I had a whole, a whole load of other people, who people like um, uh, Sue Sheridan, um, who very sadly died before we finished the game. Uh, but she was Trillian in the original series of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on Radio 4. Which, if you are the right age and the right level of nerd, is uh, pretty amazing. Um, And yeah, and then and then we finished the game, and then Alex had to keep working to make it run on other platforms, and I didn't have to do anything, and it was so nice. The game originally came out in 2016
0: on uh, PC, did it?
1: Uh, um, Yes. So that's right. We didn't kickstart in 2016. We kickstarted in earlier than that 2014 i think and then we released for pc mac and linux in 2016 the other thing that i haven't said is that we've we remastered the original game in hd uh, and released that a few months ago on steam um i think last month on steam but that game is locked to desktops and will never never make it onto a, a switch unfortunately
0: Poor old Alex has to have a rest at some point.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's so lazy, Alex. Come on, Alex. No, he's uh, he's a very very hardworking man.
0: And is the uh, is the foul fleet a direct sequel to Spoonbeaks Ahoy, or is it a, a standalone game in its own?
1: It's, it's a standalone game. There are there are characters who will recur, and so people who who know the game will will spot sort of uh, themes. But the uh, the opening scene in the game uh, recaps pretty much everything you need to know. In essence. Uh, Nellie Kutelot is a a, a a fearsome pirate, or at least she thinks she's a fearsome pirate, uh, whose uh, whose quest is to uh, rescue uh, adorable creatures, specifically birds. She's she's given this quest by William Bloodbeard, who is the ghost of a dead pirate. He passes the mantle onto her, uh, and and basically she faces off against her arch nemesis Baron Widebeard. Who is a, a villain with a variety of uh, nefarious schemes that all involve kidnapping or enslaving the bird population of the South Seas? It's a very hard-hitting political game. I hope that's coming across.
0: <laughs> and what is um, Baron Whitebeard's obsession uh, with birds? Where does that come from?
1: Baron Whitebeard is a loser, and that is the that, that is the essence of his character. Uh, he is an angry um, an angry man who blames everyone else for his problems. Um, and uh, he's a, a vain fool uh, who, who who wants to be rich and keeps being rich and then losing all of his money because of his evil and nefarious schemes. And uh, his latest scheme is to uh, uh, in this game is to hypnotize a fleet of birds in order to track down a, a legendary lost treasure. And Nelly has to try and stop the uh, feathery carnage from ensuing before he before he gets there.
0: So there's uh, there's a lot of funny characters in the game, and uh, I was wondering if you had a kind of particular favourite in the game.
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, in terms of recording the characters, I think um, recording Sebastian was the, my favourite because I got to work with uh, Tom Baker. But who is my favourite character of all the characters? I think writing the characters, I think writing Baron Wybeard is the most fun to write because he's so vain. Um, in terms of... Uh, Voice acting fun, I think it would be Sebastian because I got to work with Tom Baker. Um, in terms of who I think is the coolest character, you know, I really like um, Gusty Nethers, the bosun. I mean, his name is just a silly pun, but um, I think because he's uh, the thing with Nellie is she meets lots of characters and she's nice to most of them, unless they're in uh, positions of authority, in which case she's really rude and disrespectful towards them. Um, and Gusty Nethers, I, I just think he's a, a fun character because he's completely on Nellie's side all, all the time. Um, and uh, uh, sort of a, a laid-back should be should be an authority figure because he's a bosun, but he actually is not bothered about Nelly uh, causing all kinds of problems and getting up to her schemes.
0: And the game it feels very distinctively uh, British. Um, I, I often um, felt like um, I was I was um, kind of playing through an episode of Blackadder or something like that. And uh, oh, thank you very much. And. Um, was that an important factor for you getting across the getting across the kind of Britishness in the in the
1: game? Um, it wasn't intentional. I just am British, but <laughs> and just but but I am a fan of I'm obviously a fan of Blackadder, I'm a fan of British radio comedy, and uh, and the that sensibility, um, and also the actors we w- we worked with, who were people who were very experienced British voice actors. Um, that sensibility just bleeds through because I I, I do think that's what um, while the game owes a huge debt to Monkey Island, I do think that the sense of humor in the game is quite distinctive, and I think when people play the game, they they, they recognise that it's its own thing, and I think the 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 British, if there is such a thing as a British sense of humor or a British idiom, I think that contributes to it.
0: Um, I, I thought I thought it was fantastic, and uh, with with the puzzles as well, it's it must be tough um, balancing the the puzzle difficulty. Um, And I was just wondering what your approach to kind of the the puzzle design was in the game.
1: Well, I think, um, I mean, I'm a big fan of point-and-click adventure games. I've played absolutely loads of them, good ones and bad ones. And uh, I I think Nelly is not a very difficult game. Um, There's a few puzzles that stump people, but on the whole, experienced adventure gamers tend to think it wasn't that difficult. And I think... The reason it's not that difficult is that it's quite a fair game. So it's a cartoon game, and it follows cartoon logic, but for the most part, the puzzles are logical. You don't have to, I don't know, put the hat on the pig and then disguise the pig as a frog. The the bizarre inventory combinations that made up a, a certain contingent of point-and-click adventure games were, I think, often there just to make the games hard so you didn't finish them quickly. Because they, I think uh, I think a lot of games were artificially padded out by adding in mazes and completely illogical leaps that you would never get until you played the game through 300 times. And so with Nelly, I think I've tried to make it fair and tried to make it so that the player doesn't have to read my mind. And that does mean that it isn't the hardest point-and-click adventure game in the world, but um, I think there's lots of fun and... In some cases, reasonably original takes on puzzles. It's not all just fetch quests. It's not all just combining inventories. You've got a few things to decode and a few things to make sense of and a few lateral thinking puzzles in there too.
0: I particularly like the puzzle where you had to combine the drinks in the bar um, for the for the Scottish character in, in the toths uh, I, I thought that one was um, a, a particularly a, a great puzzle and a quite, ah, quite a challenging you. one as well. Um, and the game, um, it's, so, it's, so it's been out for a little while on Steam, it's got very, uh, very positive reviews on Steam. I mean, h- how does that feel?
1: Uh, it feels really nice, although, well no, that's a complete lie. The reality, as any honest person will say about reviews, is that you completely ignore all the good reviews and you only, you only pay attention to the one or two people who don't like your thing. Um, and so th- I think every, every person who writes or creates anything has a special s- filter in their, their spectacles or contact lenses or eyes. That means they can completely ignore those blue thumbs that point upwards and only see the red thumbs that point downwards. Or is it the orange thumbs that point sideways? I don't know. Um, but it's really nice that the, 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 the reviews on Steam are mostly positive. But I do read the negative ones much more attention than the positive ones.
0: And it, it, it must be nice um, in, in uh, an original idea that you, you came up with um, for your girlfriend uh, as a gift. Um, and now that's kind of out there in the wider world and making you know, other people happy. That must, be, that must be a really nice feeling.
1: Yes, it's it's really nice to know that that our in jokes are now being shared with a, a community of people that's much much larger than just the two of us. So you know, because you know, characters like Baron Whitebeard, who's in the game, and and El Mono, his, uh, his his monkey sidekick, those were characters that we used to talk about and make make jokes about before they were even in a game, and now our sort of private jokes are, uh, if not public, um, at least available to the public for a small fee. <laughs> and uh
0: and the art style in the game as well is is really good it's it's re- really vibrant really colorful and that there's a kind of a wide variety of characters did did you have a big team working on that <laughs>
1: i'm sorry that you've made me laugh <laughs> no um no so i did it i did it and it was really really hard work um um the background art style is something I'm quite happy with in The Foul Flea. Um It's very inspired by Warner Brothers animations. But, well, not, not just Warner Brothers, but Warner Brothers and Disney, at, uh, the... There were certain art styles that they used. Uh, Disney used it in the backgrounds of 101 Dalmatians, and Warner Brothers used it for a lot of the uh, the old Looney Tunes, where the 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 ink work and the color work doesn't line up completely. So you've got quite detailed ink work, and then blocks of color that don't quite fit in the lines. And you know, bits of sort of—it's slightly messy, and there's a bit of sort of splashes of colour here, as if someone sort of flicked a paintbrush with, uh, sorry, a toothbrush with paint, and cut little bits of uh, little dots here and there. So it's slightly messy, and it's slightly off. And uh, I spent ages trawling through animation blogs, looking at those backgrounds in detail, trying to basically steal that style for the background. So you know, sl- slightly bent perspective slightly broken colours, and um, I think that worked out quite nicely. I think that gives the game, uh, I wouldn't say a unique look, but I think that gi- helps it cohere a bit. It's,
0: it, it's a really beautiful game, and to know that the fact that you, you did it all yourself,
1: that, that, is, that is a fantastic achievement. It's a very good excuse for anything that you don't like in it. When I go, oh, but I did it all myself, I was working so hard, I was so tired. Um yeah. So, it's a, it's a very good get out of jail free card. I didn't do absolutely everything. I did have help. Um, uh, you know, read the credits. You know, it's, just, it's out there. But I did do a lot of work.
0: Well, the game is released today on uh, Nintendo Switch. And as, as we mentioned before, uh, you literally just launched the game. Um,
1: literally, with my clicking launch finger right now.
0: <laughs> so, go out there, everyone, and uh, check out uh, Nelly Coutelot, uh, The Foul Fleet, because uh, it's available on Nintendo Switch now. I want to um, shift slightly from Nelly uh, to you. And um, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about your process and your approach to designing games.
1: Well, I, obviously, I don't know what I'm doing. That should be obvious. and I need to say that at the, at the top. Um, I, I'm a, well, I'm a, I'm a comedian. I, I was going to say by day. It never happens during the day. Well, it hardly ever happens during the day. I'm a comedian by night, I suppose. Um, and uh, by training, I'm a filmmaker, so i went I went to film school. And what I'm saying is I'm very unsuccessful in a range of different media. so you you name it. Um, I have done it to a moderate level. And what I'm trying to do is bring together different things that I'm interested in and do them as well as I can. So, so you know, so ne- so Nelly has lots of elements of comedy in that, and when I do stand-up comedy, uh, I'm introducing bits of animation, uh, you know, uh, live action animation. I've done a, a live action video game uh, before where, you know, the audience get involved and create a character. and Then we have an adventure. And I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know that all of these things interest me. And so I'm going to sort of mash them together and do them all as well as I can. So that that's that, that's my approach. It doesn't sound very considered, but in my defence, I didn't know you were going to ask that question. <laughs> and this you, is like well, this is like my dad says, what what's going on with your career? And I have to go. Oh, well, I'm trying my best. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know. You mentioned before the game was
0: kickstarted, um, and I was wondering how, um, how was that sort of process for you? Putting I guess putting something out there, and um, you know, watching watching the kind of donations come in.
1: It was great, actually. It was I, I've kickstarted a few projects since then um, because I, I help organize uh, an, an event called Adventure X, which is uh, a, a London-based event dedicated to narrative-driven games. and i uh, for, for the last few years, I've helped with the fundraising, which has been Kickstarter. Um, but Nelly was my first experience of doing that, and um, you know I, I look back on it with um, a, a lot of warmth. You know I think the pitch video I did, though uh, you know there are things I would do differently now, but I think it was a very good video overall. It really explained what the what the game was, and it really it really sold people on it and the sense of humour in it. And what shocked me is that suddenly people began to be cheerleaders for my game, people who'd never seen it and had never heard of the freeware game I made. They saw the pitch and they got really excited and they tried to get other people to support the game. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, I wasn't aiming for absolutely tons of money. I wasn't making tens and thousands of pounds. I was just looking for enough money for me to work on it for a year and a half or two, uh, which I think became two and a half years. But, hey, it's Kickstarter. What do you expect? But, yeah... But yeah, but the fact that you've got—if—if um, if it goes well, you've got a community of people who really care about your project can can be great. Um, it can be difficult to handle, and I think a lot of people mishandle it. If you piss off your your backers, and that's that can happen, um, you can you can lose a lot of goodwill. But I think the the way to avoid that is just is just being honest with people, because everybody knows that games are hard to make. Games are really hard to make, uh, and nobody makes. Bad games on purpose. I don't think anybody makes a bad game on purpose. And nobody makes mistakes on purpose. And all, but all of these things, all kinds of problems will come up and changes will happen while you're making a game. And I think the, the best thing to do is be as, uh, as, as honest and open with the people who've supported your game. Because they're the, they're the, they're, I suppose they're the producers in a way, uh, a, a, a conglomerate legion of producers. Um, and just, just let them know what's happening. You know, that we went through lots of changes and that we, we delayed the game and, uh, and, and what we delivered was not exactly what we said we were going to in some ways. And for the most part, people understand why we made those decisions and are, and are happy with it and, in fact, supportive of it, which is really nice.
0: And um, before you made um, nearly um, the, both the Foul Fleet um, and uh, Spoonbeak's Ahoy, did you play a lot of adventure games before that?
1: I played almost exclusively adventure games for for years. I was I was an avid adventure gamer, and to the ex, to the exclusion of other games for a long time, uh, because it around the sort of the the turn of the century, um, around that time, you know, I, that was the time when everyone was talking about adventure games were dying. The the switch was from two D to three D, and very few adventure games successfully made a, a, that jump. Uh, Although there's a few classics from the early 2000s, like um, uh, 1999 was the longest journey, I think. But still, it belongs to that era. There's a a few really great games from that era. But it was a really hard time for the kind of games I liked. And I resented the other games. I resented the action games and the the hideous low-poly action games where people were leaping about and shooting things and nobody was having a story and there were no jokes and there there were no puzzles. And what happened is mainstream action games learned all the all the secrets that adventure games had had about the fact that characters and stories are one of the reasons that people are playing these games and we're playing them not just to shoot things off of other things but to find out what happens next in the story and to meet people and to to have experiences and, and explore worlds that aren't like the the world we live in and I think it was I sort of accidentally, I think I bought Morrowind, the Elder Scrolls game, for, for a pound from a charity shop. And it was, um, to, to date, it was the, the best value I've ever got on a purchase. Because the amount of entertainment I got for that one pound is in vastly in excess of what, of what the pound was worth. Because I think Morrowind is a great game. Um, the graphics are very dated now. But I think it's a great adventure game, even though it's principally an RPG, because it's it's got a wonderfully detailed world. It's got great writing. It's got s- stories, but it also has combat and crafting and uh, alchemy systems and all kinds of stuff I'd never had any experience of, and I was terrible at it, and I probably still am terrible at it. But it was just this vast game that made me realise, oh, the thing that I like about adventure games exists in loads of other genres as well. And now, so now I'm really keen to you know. I, I, i uh, wow. play things like the you know the witcher series and um, lo- lots of indie games that take a, th- things like undertale which take um, uh, a non obvious approach to to narrative you know you're playing undertale is a kind of retro rpg aesthetic but what you're experiencing is is very very story driven and i really love it so there's, so now i have a much more catholic um, not in the religious sense, but a much more holistic uh, approach to playing games than I did when I was younger.
0: And the, the, the kind of explosion of indie games, you kind of touched on it there over the last few years has been, been fantastic. Um, and uh, the opportunity from kind of going from someone who plays adventure games to transitioning from someone who makes uh, adventure games, how, how did that kind of, um, how did that come about?
1: Well, it's a funny thing because I know I know lots of people who are who who have done that and gone, you know, uh, talking about people who I meet at Adventure X, like, um, you know, Dave Gilbert of YGI, who, um, who started out making, you know, as a hobbyist making games and was pro- probably the first people of the people I knew to start actually turning it into a, a real career and then actually turning it into a proper career and then, um, and then this year releasing um, Unavowed, which it was uh, heralded by many as, as the best adventure game of the year or the best adventure game for years. And it's, it's really nice to see um, writers and developers like him go on that journey a, a, a ahead of the rest of us. Um, but, but also lots of people make, make little games uh, you know, like I do where it, maybe it's never going to be some, you know, the, someone's main source of income. Maybe it's always going to be a sideline. But that's, that's where lots of interesting creative work happens, I think. And then every so often someone will hit upon something absolutely brilliant uh, and it'll, it'll launch them to some new level of uh, indie stardom. But but that doesn't have to happen to be able to create good work and be able to actually make some money out of a game. It's really nice that you can that, that a cottage industry is possible now, thanks to um, distribution systems. With h- however many flaws they may have, it is possible to make and s- make at home with a couple of people a game that you can then sell and make a living out of. Which was the case in the early days with the Spectrum, where you'd go around with a box full of tapes selling your v- games. And it's possible again now, and I think that that's much richer than it was during the bad old days of the the 2000s, where nobody would publish anything unless it was a 3D shoot 'em up. I'm I'm being unfair to the early 2000s, but it's but it's great uh, and it's very exciting. And, and this is why I get I get very frustrated with people who. Um, who either think that adventure games are dead or haven't played any adventure games since the 90s because there's loads of great adventure games. We are living in the golden age of these games. They're better now than they were then, and they've solved all of the terrible design flaws that those games had, or many of the terrible design flaws that those games had. And
0: uh, could, could you give us a few examples of your favourite adventure games?
1: Oh. um so, so the Monkey Island series is is, is obviously uh, 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 the the holy grail of the adventure game. It's it's dark and spooky as well as funny and lovable, uh, uh, and and vast and full of a rich, detailed world. It's you know it's it's like being inside a Disney movie, but better. It, it's it's adorable. Um, I'm a huge fan of the the Mist series. If we're still on old games, uh, I love Mist and Riven. I was really imple- impressed by Abduction, which was the the, the recently kickstarted game, uh, which has all of the f- the feels uh, to to use a, a colloquialism has all of the feels of a, a, a Mi- of a Myst game, but with um, absolutely beautiful, bang up to date uh, 3D graphics that look fantastic. Uh, that was absolutely lovely what other ones have I really enjoyed recently? Obviously I'm a big fan of Dave's YGI games Oh, this is horrible because by not including people I'm going to offend friends (laughs) by not mentioning their (laughs) games so the list is either going to have to be hundreds and hundreds of games long or very short, oh sorry I've I've just remembered Uh, I haven't remembered Rachel, who is the real-life Nelly, just poked me in the back to mouth the correct answer, which is that one of the best adventure games I've played recently is uh, the Return of the Obra Dinn, uh, Lucas Pope's game. Uh, and I don't know him, so he's not a friend, so I can't offend or please him by saying that. Um, and that was uh, a, a just one it's just one of the best detective games ever made. Uh, you, you, you get to properly be a detective. Uh, it, it's retro and it's contemporary. It looks like an old Mac game, but it's, it's in 3D. Uh, it's one of the most well tuned games i've ever played as well as being full of atmosphere and really fun
0: and it, it was it was really good um because i think he, the previous game to that that he made was papers please mm. and it it kind of demonstrates the what we were saying before in in that um it's you know it, it's it's sometimes the you know the the one man outfit or the, the the one person outfit that can um sort of tap into a a new sort of type of creativity you know if yeah it, it's a it's a guy stamping uh, immigration papers i
1: believe you know uh, yeah and he sort of I, as far as i know invented a new genre there the sort of the admin adventure game <laughs> um, and um I, mean, I think he's i mean, he's pro- probably Obviously, a genius, which is very annoying, especially since he does all of the artwork and um, and music. I think it's very unfair when people can draw and do music, because I'm I can't do music at all. So I really resent, really resent that quite a lot. But 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 my resentment is uh, is is calmed somewhat by the fact that his games are very very good.
0: And um, so, as well as well as a game designer, um, an animator. And uh, you mentioned you're a comedian as well, which which really comes across in the writing in uh, Nelly Cootelot. I, th- I think the writing's fantastic. It, it's it's brilliant. And uh, so you're a comedian by night. Um, have you got any uh, shows
1: coming up soon? Uh, I do actually. I'm off to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is a a, 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 a tiny little uh, quaint arts festival, uh, the largest in the world in Edinburgh every year. And um, I am one of the—I was going to say millions, but it is literally thousands of of shows going on there. Um, so I have absolutely no right to demand an audience. Um, but if you're there, you can come and see me do a show called The Interdimensional ABK at uh, ten to seven in the Pleasance Dome, and in the Jack Dome in the Pleasance Dome it is a a very fun comedy show. It's a stand-up comedy show. Uh, where i pretend to be from another dimension and uh, i do stand up about what it's like living in this world the b timeline which is slightly more rubbish than the world i come from <laughs> and uh, what what date is that going to be on uh, it's on for pretty much the whole of august so it's on from like i think the 31st of july to the 26th of august so it's it's uh apart from the 19th so i'm there pretty much for the whole month anybody is around edinburgh uh, I have long red hair, I'm pretty noticeable. If you see me walking the streets, come up to me and get a flyer or something like that.
0: So it's, it's really good timing with the, the launch of uh, Nelly Cootelot today on Nintendo Switch. You get that out of the way and yes. uh, pack your bags off to off to Edinburgh.
1: Now, now, yes, now I can relax and, and go and uh, be uh, humiliated on a nightly basis in front of uh, critics and prob- the thing we think with Edinburgh is it, I, it's, it can be absolutely lovely and it can be absolutely miserable it's like it's like that the comment section of steam though you can have a room full of people laughing and then you can have an elderly Italian couple who don't speak English and have bought tickets by mistake with their arms folded in the front row and all you will see is is that elderly Italian couple in the front row and you will you will kick yourself until you can get them to laugh and if you can't get them to laugh you will go home sad because because comedians are pathetic people is what i'm getting at
0: <laughs> well Alistair, thank you so much for uh, talking to us about Nelly Kootalot today. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and a really interesting chat. Not, not only looking at your, uh, the games that you've made, but um, talking about your your experience in games and uh, your Kickstarter experience and uh, everything else. So thank you, thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, good luck at Edinburgh.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Well, thanks very much there to Alistair and uh, for taking the time to talk to me on the podcast. Uh, As he mentioned, uh, he's literally just launched the game on Nintendo Switch and it was great to speak to him. He's a really, really funny guy and uh, good luck to him, um, not only with the game's launch but his uh, Edinburgh Fringe show coming up really soon. Next up, let's take a look at Celeste. So, Celeste is a skillful platformer that combines a retro art style, great music, and a hard hitting story in a winning combination. Celeste was a surprise to me, but should take pride of place in any gamer's collection. The story of Celeste is one of many assets that this game has to offer. It's the story of a girl who wants to climb the Celeste Mountain. The main protagonist, Madeline, clearly has a lot going on and confides in Theo fellow traveller she meets early in her journey. Madeline's going through some tough times with her mental health and reveals in a phone call with her mum that she suffers from panic attacks. However, she's determined to prove herself that she can conquer her demons and overcome this huge obstacle that's in front of her. At the base of the mountain, Madeline meets an old woman who warns her that along the way she'll see things that may confuse her. A celeste mountain has strange effects on those who try to scale the highest peaks. Early on in the game, as Madeline passes a mirror, she sees a reflection of herself in the mirror and breaks free and starts to chase her. Her evil reflection is always putting her down, saying she's not good enough, and is the physical manifestation of that little voice in Madeline's head. Celeste is a platforming game where you run and jump to navigate through levels. Traversing these levels is aided by a few abilities, including wall jumping, clinging to walls and an air boost. Each screen acts as a mini-puzzle as you figure a way to navigate to the next screen. Later in the game, your abilities open up a little, but you have to play through to approximately the mid-game to find out how. The platforming in Celeste can be tight, but it's not as unforgiving as other tough platforming games like Super Meat Boy. The controls feel responsive and natural. Running, jumping and bouncing off walls is familiar enough. Madeline's Also got Stamina shown through the animation in the game. You can jump, cling onto walls, but as you run low on Stamina you'll see Madeline start to shake and sweat indicating you'll need to find a safe landing zone somewhere nearby. Each level is a new stage up the mountain and there's a variety of environmental effects that will try and stop you and your safe passage to the summit. You'll be climbing up the mountain, exploring the run down old hotel midway up the mountain, battling against elements and the strong wind, as as well as diving into the core of the mountain to face your fears. Each stage is vibrant in colour and can be tricky to navigate due to the sheer number of things able to kill you. And there's also death in Celeste. You're likely going to die a lot on your first playthrough as you learn the routes through the course. To remind you of this fact there's a handy death counter at the end of the level, encouraging you to beat your last effort, as well as keeping a track of things. Like in many platformers, don't let this death counter be a number to use to beat yourself over the head with think of it as a learning tool along the way in the game you'll come across b-side cassettes which offer up tough new variations of the level this offers great replay value for celeste players and a particularly challenging one too the main game isn't a breeze and the b-sides offer up an even tougher challenge There's a few items in the game to collect including strawberries and boost refills. The game indicates that collecting strawberries doesn't really matter, it's only something for you to show off to your friends rather than having a meaningful effect on gameplay. However, it's a nice addition for completionists and provides a new angle for gameplay. More often than not levels are fairly straightforward to get through, however if you want to collect all the strawberries you're going to have to take a moment to think about your route. Once you collect a strawberry, you're going to have to get your feet back on safe ground to collect. As well as the strawberries dotted around the stage, there's plenty to collect as well. And there's also boost refills hidden amongst the stages, which you'll need to use to successfully get to the next stage or the end goal. And these form part of clever and challenging puzzles throughout Celeste. Character development in Celeste is strong with a cast of characters you'll get to know and love throughout the game. There's the old woman who at first seems a bit harsh and Theo, your fellow traveller full of useful advice and the strange hotel owner and of course Madeline's evil twin. Madeline is at the centre of the story and her battling with her emotions and feelings offers genuine moments of joy, sadness and wonder. The developers have done a great job with the characters in the game by developing them at the right time and offering meaningful connections to the player. By the end you'll be rooting for Madeline as she attempts to scale the mountain. Further enforcing the character development are the cutscenes between the levels. There's a few moments in the game where your hair stands up on the back of your neck offering genuine surprise and delight. There's a particularly good scene in a cable car where Madeline has a panic attack and Theo attempts to calm her down. Madeline visualises a feather floating in the breeze and this helps regulate her breathing. This mechanic is used later in the game. I won't ruin the surprise but it's a fantastic moment which should not be missed. The art style in the game is 16-bit pixel art harking back to the days of the SNES or the Genesis. As well as the characters, the backgrounds are beautiful, vibrant and colourful. Each stage is varied enough from the dark depths below the mountain to the dank, broken hotel. The light, bright levels towards the top of the mountain perfectly accompany Madeline on her journey. And then there's the music. This is some of the best music in video games hands down, no exception. The music is dreamy, upbeat and strange, complementing the graphics and keeping pace with the speed that you travel through the levels. There's no voice acting in the game as such but opts for an old style beep and muffled sounds. This adds to the charm of the game for sure, and Celeste's soundtrack by Alina Raine is something I'd happily sit there and listen to whilst at work or on a journey. In summary, Celeste is a great game and I'd recommend it to anyone who enjoys video games. The game feels great, rewards players and combines great story beats with gorgeous art and excellent music. I look forward to the upcoming DLC for Celeste and I'm looking forward to spending more time in this world with Madeline and the crew. If you haven't played this game, stop what you're doing right now and go and buy it. I played the game on Nintendo Switch and it offers up a perfect companion on a plane or a train or a bus as well as a fine experience sitting in front of a TV with a controller so the game was developed by Matt makes games it's out on xbox playstation pc and nintendo switch and was originally released on the 25th of january 2018 and i gave the game a final score of 92 out of 100 so what do you think of celeste Uh, email me on podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com let me know what you thought about the puzzles and uh, do you speedrun celeste let me know your times and uh, how you're getting on with the game I know the recent Summer Games Done Quick 2019 the Celeste run was really really good and I'll link the video to that down in the show notes Right, that's it for Celeste but if you're enjoying This Week in Video Games podcast head on over to iTunes and leave us a nice review it really helps get the word out about the podcast so if you've got access to iTunes then I'd really appreciate a positive review and don't forget This Week in Video Games has a YouTube channel that goes alongside with the podcast The YouTube channel has got the entire archive of the podcast as well as dedicated reviews, interviews and features and loads of how-to videos as well including a lot of Destiny 2 and Super Mario Maker content. So search up This Week in Video Games on YouTube and subscribe today for all the latest content. And if you want to see anything specific on YouTube, uh, send me an email to podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. It would be great to hear from you, as always. And I'll link the uh, link to YouTube uh, down in the show notes for you so, uh, so you can find it nice and easily. So next up, let's take a look at the news of the week. So first up in the news this week, Nintendo Switch Lite has been announced with a September release. And Nintendo's announced a new version of the Nintendo Switch called the Switch Lite. And the Switch Lite will exclusively support handheld mode and will be released on September 20th, 2019 for £199. The new Nintendo Switch Lite doesn't have detachable Joy-Cons. Instead, the controllers are attached to the screen like a traditional handheld console. Nintendo has also added a D-pad on the left-hand side. So some of the features of the original Nintendo Switch have been removed uh, to accommodate for the price decrease. There's no HD rumble or uh, infrared camera and the screen is smaller coming in at 5.5 inches compared to the 6.2 inches of the original. Although some of the features have been removed by Nintendo they say the battery life has been improved with claims that Breath of the Wild can be played for an hour longer on the Switch Lite. And the Switch Lite doesn't have a kickstand or a TV connection to emphasise the handheld mode of play. Games that support tabletop mode um, have to be played with a Joy-Con connected to the Switch Lite. And the console's going to come in three colours at launch. We've got yellow, grey and turquoise. And the Switch Lite has got the same online capabilities as the Nintendo Switch and it can be connected to other consoles with up to eight players in local play. And uh, it's an interesting move from Nintendo. Um, The rumours of a Switch Lite ...or a Switch Pro have been around for some time. And it looks like the Switch Pro is going to be pushed back until 2020. Uh, I'd imagine for maybe a combined release with uh, Breath of the Wild 2. Um, but it looks as if uh, Nintendo are going to be pushing the Switch Lite... ...together with uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield later on this year. And in fact you can get a custom um, Switch Lite... ...with an etched uh, Pokemon on the back of it as a promotion... ...to go with the Switch Lite. But I did put a poll out on Twitter... Uh, to see uh, kind of who this is for. Uh, me personally, I probably won't get one because um, I find the Nintendo Switch is kind of good enough for me. As I mentioned, I put a poll out on Twitter, and I uh, got a few responses all saying no, they wouldn't actually buy this thing. Um, although I imagine they are probably already Nintendo Switch owners. I can imagine this is probably marketed towards kids uh, due to the vibrant colours and is probably in the medium to long term looking to replace the Nintendo uh, DS or the, the 3DS as uh, I think game production is slowing, drastically slowing down and uh, probably will stop for that soon and I would imagine the variants of Nintendo Switch will for, fill out the, uh, not only the kind of home console market but the on-the-go market as well um, it does raise a few questions about the name um, is it still a Switch if if you can't actually switch anything Um, but it's nice to see nintendo kind of casually coming out on twitter and dropping this uh, last week as nintendo does Um, because there were rumors for for some time Um, but yeah as we mentioned before it looks as if we're gonna have to wait a little bit more for the pro that will probably come out next year but the switch Lite that is coming out on september 20th uh, 2019 So next up, a Lord of the Rings MMO is being developed by Amazon Game Studios. And uh, Amazon Game Studios announced they're working on a Lord of the Rings MMO set in Middle Earth. The project is being developed in partnership with Liu Technology Holdings Limited, based in Hong Kong. And Liu planned to publish the uh, free-to-play title in China. Meanwhile, Amazon are going to publish in the West. So Liu owns another game studio, including uh, Digital Extremes, who make Warframe so leo and amazon they're going to combine their experience of free-to-play and live service and mmo skills together to form hopefully a winning combination Uh, there's no um, release date for the project but i'll keep you updated as uh, details emerge and if there was ever a franchise or a story that was calling for an mmo then lord of the rings could be it so this one this one could be a winner so i'll keep you posted on details Next up, Video Game Music Classical Concert has been put on by the BBC and Radio 3 broadcast classical jazz and world music to audiences all over the world. Recently they took on the world of video game music. So games composer and designer Jessica Curry curated a concert with the BBC Concert Orchestra including music from Final Fantasy, World of Warcraft and Everybody's Gone to the Rapture and it was recorded last week at BBC Maida Studios. The video game music concert includes uh, Kingdom Hearts, We're Family and Fragile Family from Get Even, An Early Harvest uh, from Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, Quiet as a Mouse with a Sword from Moss, Malak, Angel Messenger from World of Warcraft, uh, Zanarkand uh, from Final Fantasy X. We've got The Last Guardian Suite from The Last Guardian. Uh, The main theme from Fallout 4, The Legend of Zelda music, and Wind of Madness from Resident Evil 5. And you can listen to the the concert in full, and there's a link to it on the This Week in Video Games website. Head up to uh, the website and search uh, Video Game Music Classical Concert, and it's available until early August on demand on BBC Sounds. Next up, Cuphead Netflix series has been announced, and a Cuphead Netflix series called The Cuphead Show is coming to Netflix sometime soon. Chad and Jared Moldenhauer from studio MDHR will act as executive producers, and the announcement was made in a Netflix press release earlier last week, and they say, The game that has won the hearts and minds of fans with its gorgeous retro hand-animated style, crazy boss brawls and challenging gameplay will come to life on television for the first time ever in the Cuphead show. The new series will expand on the characters and the world of Cuphead with animation style inspired by the classic uh, Fleischer cartoons from the 1930s. So this is good news for Cuphead fans especially given Cuphead's recent DLC has been delayed till 2020. So next up in the news Nintendo Switch Online has 10 million subscribers And Nintendo's announced that its online service, which was required for online play, has 10 million subscribers. This was confirmed by Shintaro Furukawa at Nintendo's recent shareholder meeting. So, Furukawa said the number of subscribers for Nintendo Switch Online has increased steadily since the service was launched last September, and it has now surpassed 10 million accounts. When asked about the plans for Nintendo Switch Online, Furukawa responded, in addition, we provided Tetris 99 as a special offer to Nintendo Switch members this February and then in May began selling Nintendo Switch game vouchers that allowed users to purchase two Nintendo Switch download titles at a discount. We recognise that making Nintendo Switch Online service attractive to users is extremely important and will continue to make the content of the service even more appealing going forward. As well as offering game titles like Tetris 99, Nintendo's partner up with other services like Twitch, which surely has help matters. Uh, Games like Super Mario Maker 2 and Mario Kart with their online modes will also help too. And uh, you can check out the full Q&A with Nintendo on thisweekinvideogames.com. Just go to thisweekinvideogames.com and in that search box type in Nintendo Switch Online. So that's it for the news this week. Next up, let's take a look at the charts. So at number 10 this week we've got Mortal Kombat 11, that's up 3 places from number 13. Number 9 this week we've got Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is up 2 places from 11 last week. Number 8 this week we've got Red Dead Redemption 2, which is down 2 places from number 6. Number 7 this week is Assassin's Creed Odyssey, up 1 place from 8. And number 6 this week is Grand Theft Auto 5, and that's up 1 place from 7. Number 5 this week, it's Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, which is up 5 places from number 10. Number 4 this week, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, up 1 place from 5. And holding there at number 3 is F1 2019. Still in there at number 2 is Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled. And holding the number 1 spot for a second week in a row is Super Mario Maker 2. Well that's it for the charts this week. Next up, let's have a look at what we've got coming up next week. Coming up next week, on July the 16th, we've got The Sims 4 Island Living Expansion, that's coming out on PS4 and Xbox One. Uh, Also on the 16th, we've got Summer Catchers, that's coming out on PC. Uh, Then on the 18th, we've got FIA European Truck Racing Championship, that's coming out on PC, PS4, Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. Also on the 18th, we've got Tech Corp that's coming out on PC. And uh, we've got Eagle Island, a great little indie title that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, that's coming out in the EU on Nintendo Switch, having already released in the US last week. And then finally, on the 19th, we've got Marvel Alliance 3 The Black Order, that's coming out on Nintendo Switch. So that's it for next week, and uh, let's take a look at what I've been doing outside of gaming. So, Game of Thrones board game update this week. Well, and it's been a good week in Westeros this week as I took home the victory in the Game of Thrones board game with Baratheon. So having raced to five castles early on in the game, I managed to hold off battles on a few fronts, and took the game in round eight with seven castles in a double castle swoop on the first move. I did get pretty lucky at the end of the game with the RNG related to the house cards, restricting my opponents with no support. However, it was a good game overall, and only my second win in the game, so I'm pretty pleased with that one. We're mixing it up with uh, random start positions and pre-mustering to encourage a little bit of fighting. Uh, We've kicked off a new game and this time I'm Stark, but I'm in the Greyjoy house position. Uh, It's a little bit restrictive as uh, the real Greyjoys have started in the Stark position and were quickly able to expand in the first few rounds. Uh, So I'm currently in a classic Greyjoy starting position battle with the Martells who are currently residing in Lannisport normally where the Lannisters first start so it's all good fun and if you want to have a go at the game then try Thronemaster.net or Flight Fantasy Game of Thrones board game I'll put a link to both in the show notes Uh, it's a really well balanced game and it's good for getting friends together well that's it for this week's episode if you want to get involved in the show email me on podcast at thisbeaconvideogames.com or check out the latest on the website send in your questions, your comments and your video game stories I'm always interested in hearing from you i'm also available on twitter facebook youtube and instagram so search this week in video games on your favorite platform and join in that conversation and if you want to support this week in video games then head on over to patreon.com forward slash this week in video games in exchange for supporting the show you'll get shout outs discord access exclusive patreon content polls a special design podcast script and some special this week in video games stickers so if you enjoy this week of video games, sign up to Patreon. It would be great to see you there. And I know on some podcast apps, um, there's a support the show button. Uh, I know in Podcast Addict, the, uh, the podcatcher that I use, there's a support the show button there uh, related to the Patreon link. Um, so yeah, if you feel like supporting the show, then I'd really appreciate it. But to be honest, your listenership is more than enough for me. Thanks once again for hanging out with me and chatting about video games. I hope you have a good week. I'll talk to you next week. Hopefully England will have lifted the World Cup by then. But for now, I'll see you soon.